0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing our look at the book of Matthew today. Uh, We're continuing in the fifth chapter. We just finished up with the Beatitudes yesterday, and and then immediately upon Jesus completing that um, set of small teachings, um, you get this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's an odd transition in some ways, but, it, but it's not in other ways. In the Beatitudes, what he's telling us first are the attitudes that we should have towards life on earth. And then the second part of the Beatitudes is how do we live in light of that attitude? So once we take the right attitude, once we see the suffering and the pain in the world, and we begin to pray and long for God's kingdom, right? So, so we begin to pray as the Lord's Prayer says. We begin to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we see, for the first time in some ways, the truth. We see the truth about the world, the world as it is. We see it for what it is but we see it in light of jesus bringing the kingdom and you got to remember that's exactly what preceded this teaching people began to follow him for two reasons he was proclaiming the evangel proclaiming the good news of the coming of god's kingdom and the second thing he did was he was demonstrating and bringing god's kingdom by healing and then he begins to teach after people hear and see then he begins to teach and he goes up onto the mountain and that should be a sort of a familiar pattern, right? Because Moses comes back. So we've gone through Genesis when we look at the, um, the first part of, of uh, Matthew's gospel with the, with the um, genealogy and all that. We're, we're kind of in Genesis. And then now we, we kind of move into Exodus when Jesus goes up on a mountain to teach, Right? So, so you see in that same movement, he's been baptized in the Jordan just like they came through the Red Sea, and now they're at the mountain. And so he's ready to teach, and so he begins to teach this stuff, and he tells us how to have kingdom eyes, how to have a kingdom mind, how to have a kingdom heart, and then the things we need to do in order to live in the world now that we see it rightly. So we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're merciful, we're seeking after a pure purity in heart. We're peacemakers. It's all those things. Now that we understand the world, then now we know how to live in the world as God's children. And so then to come to this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Well, the odd thing is that, that how does something become that way? How does something lose its saltiness? That's not something that actually can happen. I mean, water can lose its saltiness if you remove the salt from it, but there's still salt. It's just separated from the water through the process of desalination. So the, the, But it's interesting, the importance of salt in the scriptures. I mean, the, one of the first places we see it is with Lot's wife, who when she leaves Sodom, leaves and goes um, out, but then she looks back with longing for her home the place that she's just left and the 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 change should be there nope i see it for what it is and i don't have longing in my heart i'm ready to walk away from that it's a perfect model of, of what repentance is actually supposed to look at our eyes are open we see things truly as they are and then we walk away from those things and so she's turned into a pillar of salt um and and there's a long rabbinic tradition about how they what they believe The reason for that is, and I'm not going to get into all that today, but but that's one of the first places that you see salt. But the other strange thing is that one of the things that they refer to the covenant as is a covenant of salt. And why is that? Well, because every passage concerning offering of sacrifices in the law says that they must be salted first. They have to be made with salt And so it's a very strange thing. It says, You shall season your offering, every offering of meal, with salt. You shall not omit from your meal offering the salt of your covenant with God. With all your offerings, you must offer salt. It's a very strange thing, and it comes up other times. That that first one was in Leviticus two. In Numbers eighteen, we get all the sacred gifts the Israelites set aside for God. I give to you, to your sons and to the daughters that are with you as a due. This he's speaking to the priests for all time. It shall be an everlasting covenant of salt before God for you and for your offspring as well. And in Second Chronicles um, thirteen, surely you know that the God of Israel gave David kingship over Israel forever to him and his sons by a covenant of salt it's a very strange thing that we don't ever see in in our bibles because it does it tends to not translate things that way and so what is this thing well it's an enduring covenant salt doesn't rot it doesn't go away and so you can the salt is what binds everything together and holds it together permanently it's, it's healthy. Salt has multi-purposes, right? I mean, there's there's plenty of purposes for salt. It's a preservative. It's a seasoning. It's used in medicine. It's even used in medicine today. We use sodium chloride in, in many intravenous solutions. There, there there are many, many uses for salt, and it's been used as a medium of exchange in different places. There There's a place that I'm familiar with that was up in uh, Northern England, it was a, a, a pub there that was supposed to have had a fire that perpetually burned uh, for like four or five hundred years. Well, nobody actually kind of believed that that really happened. But at the same time, the, the story about it was that because it's near the coast, it's nor- on the coast of the North Sea, it's about 10 miles inland, the place I'm talking about. It's actually called Saltergate. And so Saltergate was a place where when you brought the fish that, that to preserve them and to keep them, then, then you needed salt. And so Saltergate was the place where the salt excise tax came. So there were people who always wanted to smuggle salt and get it around the excise man. So this pub in Saltergate, supposedly what happened was a, a, a excise man came, found that there was undocumented salt, and, and they killed him and buried him in, under the bricks in the fireplace, and so they kept the fire burning so that nobody could ever find the, um, the body. And, and we know that in Roman times, a portion of a soldier's salary was paid in salt. It's, it's an important thing, but, but more than just being an important thing in general, it's also an important thing in Judaism because it is required for every single sacrifice— Every single sacrifice has to be made with salt. It's the most necessary condiment. It's an interesting thing in the way that, that the Jews look at some of the has- Hasidic Jews and, and the Jews who study Kabbalah will say this, in essence of salt is the power of water and the power of fire, which signify two of the divine attributes on which the world is established, the attribute of compassion and the, and the attribute of justice. And for this reason, it's called the salt of your covenant with God. And and then they say in in Midrash, God saw that it could not endure with justice alone, so God combined it with the attitude of compassion. Salt preserves and destroys. It preserves meat for a long time and gives flavor to food, and it also destroys. Vegetation can't grow in a place that's very salty. So when Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth, it's one of the most important elements for everything. But the other interesting thing is is that the rabbis one of the things that they did with with salt was they compared salt to torah that it was the essential thing that held the universe together and it held as it held god's people together with one another and with god through those sacrifices which which are to mediate and continue the covenant so in the same way does it does it work within the community. So the Torah governs the conduct of humankind, or at least God's people. And so in that way, they see it as salt, because it preserves the unity and the community. So they see the Torah as salt, which binds everything together, gives season to life, gives joy to life, gives new preserve preservation to life. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth— he is saying you are supposed to embody Torah. You're supposed to embody and, and, and show the world what it looks like to be God's people. So remember that, that one of the key things that, that I sometimes forget to mention, I take for granted you know where I'm coming from. One of the key things that in everything, particularly in Matthew, but, but in all the Gospels, is that that when Jesus is teaching, he is teaching invariably to Jewish people. And so he's using familiar terms, familiar phrases, familiar images for them. And so they would have been well aware of this covenant of salt. They would have been well aware of, of everything that, that it would imply to say that you're the salt of the earth. And so if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So when Jesus is speaking this way, he's speaking like one of the prophets of old and saying, essentially, that the salt has lost its saltiness. And asking the question, when it does, how can that be restored to it? Well, the question is sort of, how could salt lose its saltiness? It remains and it retains that property, no matter what you do to it. So when, when he says you're the salt of the earth, what he's saying is, is is that the same thing that John says when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, what Jesus is saying is that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to flesh the Word of God. And you're supposed to then be a, a, a something that the world can see as different. And, and if you do that, if you keep Torah, then what happens? God blesses you, right? So if you don't, then you lose your saltiness, and over and over and over again throughout prophetic history, that's exactly what we see happening, right? We see that, that loss of salt, that loss of saltiness as the people of God kind of uh, become syncretistic. In other words, they, they're pulling a little bit of this religion in, a little bit of that religion in, and now suddenly you have uh, an, an adulterated Religion And God says, I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going to have that. My people have to be completely devoted to me in order to do that. And so that salt of the covenant is what Jesus is speaking about here in so many ways in how is saltiness restored. What's restored through repentance? I mean, there's actually an answer to that. It's restored through repentance and restoration of the covenant. Because the covenant is an everlasting thing. But, but the, the, to make it an everlasting covenant, it can't be just based on strict justice. Because strict justice is what Paul talks about in the book of Romans when he says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, we all deserve to die. So the, the system can't survive just on justice. No. So what happens then is he provides a way through justice to get to mercy and what is that in the old testament it, it it is in that covenant it is sacrifices and those sacrifices have to be accompanied by salt and so that's the reason they refer to it as a covenant of salt that that little addition to the sacrifice which is considered to be a meal for god and then that meal is then por- portion of it is then shared with the priestly class so that's why it becomes a covenant of salt, but it's the restoration and the preservation of the covenant with God to use salt in that. And so it's an important thing, and Jesus says then that we are the salt of the earth or the salt of the world, whichever way you want to say it. But, it, but he says it's if, if you lose saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So this covenant of salt has to do with preservation, but it also has to do with the embodying, the enfleshing of the Word of God, which is what Jesus does. He is the ultimate salt of the earth, but then we're called to follow in his example and to be salt on the earth as well. The next part of this, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, you are the light of the world. Well, what did they believe to be the light of the world? The Torah. So in both these cases, he's saying you are the salt of the earth. They believe that Torah was salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. They believe that Torah was light of the world. Jesus then later in John's gospel will hear him say, I am the light of the world. And the light of the world is a humongous concept. We certainly don't have time to get into it in the couple of minutes that remain here. But the light of the world is, is not the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's that primordial light that preceded the creation of that light. And so what it does, it, it truly illumines And so what does it mean to truly illumine something? Well, it it does more than shine light on the world. It it, it shines greater light that reaches farther into the heavens. And so we're illuminating people. We're giving them revelation. Things that can't be seen by natural light can be seen by the light of the world. And that's why Jesus says he's the light of the world. And so what happens is, is that Jesus becomes the Word made flesh. And, dwell, and dwells among us. And we are intended, once we know Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, we too are intended to be salt and light in the world. And, and what does that mean? It means that we make Jesus known, so we evangelize, but we make clear also that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we, we reveal him by our lives. How do we do that? We, we reveal him by showing that we have different priorities, that we have seen the world for what it is, and we have recognized God and ourselves. And now we live in a different way because we have seen in Jesus the light of the world, and now we see things rightly. And so we respond with witness of our lives that, that says, I've seen this, Therefore, I'm no longer held in sway by what formerly captivated me. I see it now for what it is, and, and I'm living in a different kingdom. I have accepted the covenant with him, but that covenant then has claims on my life. And I have seen the kingdom for what it truly is, is the pearl of great price, the treasure in a field. I've seen it, and I've turned away from that other stuff that used to have a lure for me, and now my focus is on that kingdom. And so we reveal to the world the truth about the world, that it's fallen, busted, and broken. We, we, we share in the pain of the world. We reveal the truth about the world, but then in doing so, we reveal the truth about God in that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so in that way, in making Jesus known in both proclamation and our lives and showing that we don't have the same priorities, we we aren't captivated by the same things, and that we belong to a different kingdom, then we are both salt and salt. And light, because we bring season and savouring to the world, we preserve the world from God's judgment by our presence and by our proclamation. And then we are also light for the world, which allows them to see things. And we definitely should not hide our lamp under a basket, but we should shine so that the world might see Him. That they would see our good works and give glory to Your Father who is in heaven, because they testify not to you but to him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.